0: Again, I want to welcome each of you to our gathering today and as we get uh, settled in, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to uh, John chapter three. Uh, that is John's the Gospel of John. Uh, I was a student pastor one time and I had a kid show up and he had his Bible, and I said, "Open to John." And I looked at his Bible and I could tell that he was at the end and I was like, "Oh, he went to first John." Uh, so this is John zero. The, the OG John gospel, right? Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 3, where today uh, we're going to be looking at what I would argue, and I believe what most would argue, as the most iconic and well-known verse in all of Scripture, which is John 3.16, right? You got it. You know this. And so what I want to do as we turn there, I, I want to just um, lay out a couple of things first, before we dive in. Uh, first being... Uh, We have a birthday in the house today. Where is he? Colin? Joe's walk, where you at? There he is. All right. Today is Colin's birthday. Uh, Colin and Rachel, they are new to the church, and uh, they are now partners in the, at the church. We're going to introduce them soon uh, up front, and it'll be even more just, you'll just be in the center of it. But man, Colin, we are grateful for your life. We're grateful that you're here, and man, we hope that over the next year, God would grow you more into his image uh, as you uh, follow him and lead your family. Uh, and so, man, grateful for your life today. Happy birthday, Colin, uh, if you're a visitor, if it's your birthday We'll let you, we'll call you out if it's on Facebook or if you have friends like Chase Wheaton that texted me this morning. Uh, so hey, uh, that's what we do here. But let me, uh, following that, uh, I want to lay out where we're headed for the next couple of weeks. Because really the topic that we're going to be working through is one uh, that I think if we're honest, uh, depending on how you grew up, I think a, regardless of how you grew up in church, uh, maybe because of the way we all probably grew up in church, the topic that we're going to be working through over the next two weeks is something uh, that makes some, if not all, get a little bit uncomfortable. And so I'm just going to say it out front. This week and next week we're going to be looking at how the gospel should inform and impact our generosity. Now, for some, if you've been with us for a year, two years, three years, for, for a while, th- this is kind of old hat for you, right? Like, uh, we have walked through these sermon series uh, before. Uh, we uh, have tried not to shy away from, uh, man, doing series like this because we believe uh, that they're needed. But today, if you're a guest, I want to say uh, upfront, welcome, welcome. Um, this is one to join in on, right? Uh, but with that, I want to say this. If you're a guest with us today, um, I'm glad that you're here. But secondly, I'm not after your money, Okay. Like, as I stand up here today, I I am not after your money. Rather, I am after your heart because I believe that Jesus is after your heart. And he understood more than anyone else the power that, that money can have over our lives, especially in terms of how we view and live out what it means to be generous with our lives. So really quickly, let me explain what I mean when I talk about Jesus and money. Because uh, as you'll see, the the series that we're working through is entitled Generous God, Generous People. And so what we're actually going to be doing next week is we're going to be looking at really, uh, I believe that the gospel impacts all of life. And so we are to be a generous people in all of life. Meaning our our, our time we're to be generous with as God's people, our talents and giftings, uh, but also, uh, man, our treasure, our f- we are supposed to be generous with. And so uh, while I believe that it's all of life, I really want to hone in here at the beginning and just talk about kind of the elephant in the room of money, right? Like, what does it mean to be generous with money? Why is it important? Because uh, I think for most people, the first two things like, hey, just tell me to give some more time. Just tell me how I can serve and what capacity I can serve in. I'm okay with that. Tell me uh, how I can use my talents and giftings, right? Like some of you, like it's your voice, right? Like you just have a, you were just gifted with a beautiful voice and and, and God just wants you to sing, right? Or play instruments or, uh, you know, um, run slides or uh, serve in kids or whatever that capacity is. And you're like, yeah, just let me do that. That's, I'm okay with that. But when we start talking about our treasure, that's when people get uncomfortable. When we start talking about, man, being generous in that regard, people don't really like that. They want you to shy away from that. But did you know that the Bible has somewhere around 2,350 verses regarding money and generosity, which adds up to about twice as many verse, as verses as faith and prayer have combined. Therefore, we can't really make Jesus Lord of all of life. We can't say that Jesus is Lord of all of life without it affecting our view of generosity. And I want to give you two reasons why up front. First... Jesus talked about money and what it means to be generous more than any other subject because he knew how easy it is for us to turn to it for dependence, value, and identity, which leads us oftentimes to hoard it rather than turning to God for dependence, value, and identity and being a person who gives freely of our lives. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler. Like He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus says, what does the scripture say? Well, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and really what that is, if you're going to break it down and just kind of a generalized thing, what he's saying is give God your time and, and give others your talent, your gifting, like give of yourself. And this rich young ruler looks at Jesus, and he says, I've done all that. But you see, Jesus understands that, that you know, he's, he's got to go deeper because guess what? He's after this guy's heart. And what he says, he says, well, no, now what you need to do is sell everything you own, give all your possessions away, sell it all, and come follow me. And it says that this rich young man goes away with his head down, disgusted and also just broken by the reality that, man, his heart was ruled by what he had. He was okay to give his time. He kept the Sabbath. He was okay to give of his talents to the temple. But when it came to his treasure, he couldn't give it up. And so we see how Jesus talks about money. But secondly, as a minister of the gospel, I believe that it is a part of my job to talk about the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, especially generosity and money. Like it is foolish to proclaim the word of God so that it might form us as disciples of Jesus in every other area of life, but leave out the uncomfortable call to obedient generosity. Randy Alcorn says that the way we handle money is a litmus test for our true character. It is an index of our spiritual life. Therefore, we should talk about it. We should teach on it. We, I man, as we get together, we should, uh, man, uh, we should press on that at times. Not as a comparison of how much you give versus how much I give. But man, where's your heart at in regards to this? You see, we have to learn how to allow the gospel to influence how we steward our money. But again, not just our money. Which is why this series is not going to be solely about finances. Because I believe that the gospel speaks to and must dictate every part of our life. So does anybody feel uncomfortable yet? Are you all ready? Ready? And I sincerely hope not. Like as I prepared this week, uh, I can say that each time, uh, because we, again, we do this on a regular basis, usually once a year when we talk about these things. Um, when this comes up in our preaching schedule, man, I've grown in excitement over the years. I didn't start there. I remember the first time I had to talk about this, and, and I didn't start there for probably a variety of reasons. One, man, growing up, like it was taboo in the church to talk about these things. There's two things you're not supposed to talk about in church, right? What are they? Money and politics, right? Right? You know, uh, you don't talk about them here, but you talk about them on social media. Uh, but, uh, like, that that's the two no-nos. And so I remember going into it, I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. You're not supposed to talk about this. So there was that side of it. But then, like, th- there was the, the other side of things. is was like, man, like, what if people begin to think that I'm uh, some kind of, like, that I want their money? I don't. But then there were also moments that when I would, this series would come around, like, especially in the early days of the church, uh, man, it would be like, hey, I'm wrestling with this temptation of, man, do I need to preach this so that people will actually give? Because I don't know if we're gonna make it in the next two, three months. And so there was this wrestling, and so man, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a labor to kind of work through this stuff. But I've begun to look forward to these times. Because I believe what's happening when we do this, uh, you know, on a likely yearly basis is it begins to take out the taboo and stigma surrounding the church and generosity by making it actually what it should be, which is a natural response to the generosity that we see from God in the redemptive story of the gospel. Author and theologian Matthew Kent once said that the more you come to see God as the one who is generous, who does good things and gives good gifts to those who don't deserve it, the more generous you will become. You see, our generosity should be rooted in the generosity of God's generous grace towards the believer. The very word for grace in the Greek that that we read could often be translated as generous gift or generosity. That's what grace means. In in the Greek, is generous gift or generosity? Unmerited favor. And so I want us to take the next two weeks to grow in our understanding of the implications of God's generous grace towards us and how that generosity is to lead us to living, uh, uh, to the living of generous lives of grace towards others, both in the church and outside it. And, and I want to do this in, in two ways. So in week one, this today, that's right now, first I want to do this by gain, us gaining a greater understanding of how generosity begins with God. Like we serve, we we are loved by and serve a generous God. Do we not? And like you can't get that backwards. Sometimes we walk in and say, well, I serve a generous God and because I serve him, then he loves me. That's not the gospel. The gospel actually says we are loved and actually served by a generous God. That he's the one that, that, that went before us. And the next week, I want to look at how our generous God makes us a generous people. And so with those two things in mind, let's kick off our time together, looking at the generosity of God by reading John 3, verse 16. And what I'm going to ask, whoever's running slides, if you'll just leave the verse up there the whole time, because uh, we're just going to work through this is the only verse for the day. I'm going to read it twice because it's short. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. One more time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so here we have what I, again, believe to be one of the most perfect descriptions of generous, the generous grace of God in all of Scripture, found in what is, again, likely the most iconic and well-known verses in all of Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 16. You see, as we hear this verse read, my concern is whether or not we really see it for the generous grace it expresses to us. Like, does John 3.16 resonate with your soul today? Does it strike an emotive response, or have you and I become numb to it over the years because of its familiarity in the Christian faith? So this week, I was taking my kids to school one morning. And usually the conversation is the most random bits of information. Usually I don't even get to talk because my daughter Piper is usually just talking the whole time. Uh, and so I, I'm, we're, we're driving and all of a sudden Piper looks at me and she said, dad, I don't know how we got on the subject of this. But she said, dad, um, why, why do so many people talk about and use the John 3.16 verse all the time? Like again, that, like, that's only a question like a kid's going to ask off the wall randomly. Like we're driving and she just says, hey, dad, why do so many people talk about and use John three sixteen? And my response to her was be quiet. I haven't had enough coffee. It's only 730. Uh, no, I didn't say that. I, I stopped because at one, I'm like, wait, what is where is this coming from? But but I took a moment and I asked myself that very question. And then I gave her the best answer. I'm not saying it's a the greatest answer. But the best answer I could come up with in the moment. I said, well, sweetie, um, John 3.16 is just a really common verse that people use to talk about God's love. And I think that's a true statement. And while it might be completely true, my, my fear... For Piper, my fear for us, my fear for the church is that when we begin to make a verse simply a common phrase, void of any real meaning, we lose out on what it really is, what it really means, and why it really matters. So let me just break those three three things down. We, We lose out on what it really is. You see, the very Word of God is what it really is, which, while something that we should commonly speak of, should never become common in the sense that it's simply a tagline phrase that we throw on our bumper stickers, on our t-shirts, on our coffee mugs, and on our Etsy shops with no reverence for the authority and weight that it bears on our lives. Next, we begin to lose what it really means. You see, when we don't cherish and value the Word of God for what it really is, we tend to water it down and manage what it means in very poor ways so that it might be more palatable for our comfort and for others' comfort. You see, so often, I think, in culture, and even in church culture today, so many people believe that, that we interpret the Word when actually the Word interprets us. You see, when we come to the Scriptures... We read the Word, and what the Word does is it exposes our need. It reveals to us the solution, which is the gospel in every situation, right? Everything is pointing to Jesus. And then it leads us to interpret all of life by it, not the other way around. You see, we don't come to the Scripture and say, Okay, uh, uh, this is going on in life. How do I, uh, I need to... Th- this is what culture says. This is what I believe truth is. Therefore, I'm going to make the Word... Form to that, that's not what can happen, right? It's actually the other way around. We say, I don't care what culture says, I don't care what even I say. What does God's word say? And let me let me interpret my life through that. And then lastly, we lose out on why it really matters. You see, it matters because God's word is the only thing that brings life to the death we long to escape. It brings hope to the brokenness we live in the midst of. It brings weight and passion to all that we do. And guess what? It gives us a longing and a future hope for what's to come. Therefore, John 3.16 should never be commonplace, nor should any word in Scripture, because it's First Timothy 4.16-17 states, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so when we look at this verse, we have to ask ourselves a question. Has this verse become commonplace for you? Or do we really understand the generosity of God displayed in this one verse and what that generosity means for our lives? And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is simply just break down this one verse. And in doing so, I hope that we see five things about generosity in light of the gospel. I hope we see the source of generosity, the heart of generosity, the scope of generosity, the, the means or investment of generosity, and the return or product of generosity. And so let's begin with the source of generosity. This verse begins with, for God. For God. And what that does is it sets before us that when talking about generosity, which again is the very grace of God, it begins and it ends with God being the generous one. The main point of this verse that we're going to see throughout our time in it today is that salvation and eternal life comes not because of anything that we do, but that God did something. You see, the problem with sin is that we have a problem that we can't fix, right? You and I, because we are sinners, cannot fix ourselves, although that is hard to grasp because if you're like me, there are many moments where I think I can. Like I can do it all. I can do enough. I can work hard enough. I can try hard enough. I can, Man, this was the theology in my home growing up, if you'll just be a good person and be good enough, what does that even mean? Like, who sets the standard? You? Me? Also, that standard is situational. I can be good, really good in this moment and feel really good about myself, but guess what, man, when I do something bad, what happens then? You see, when we live like this, we ultimately believe that we can fix our sin problem, and if we can fix our sin problem, that will make us right before God and get us into heaven. I love the words of Matt Chandler. He says, hey, guess what? You're not a liar because you lie. You lie because you're a liar. In the same way, you're not a sinner because you sin sometimes. Rather, you sin a lot, a lot, and a lot more than you probably think you do, because you're by nature a sinner. Ephesians 2, verses 1-3 through 3 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, meaning that we cannot pay the price for it in our deadness. The dead can't do anything to pay the cost to be alive. They don't have the means nor the function to do so. You see, we need the grace of God to realize the real problem we face because the problem is that due to our sin, a price has to be paid to pay the penalty that it accrues before God. That, that 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 chapter actually says not only are we dead, we're actually enemies of God, we're children of wrath. Romans 6 says that the wages or payment for this sin is death and payment will always be required because God's holiness and justice demands payment. And so the reality is this, we are not the source that can pay to fix our problem, but as we see at the beginning of this verse, God is. For He has the means to fix the problem of our sin. He is the source of generosity. So we see the source. Next we see the heart of generosity. For following the for God we get the heart of generosity. Which is God did what? He so loved. What we find here is that the source of God's generosity is rooted in the greatness of His love. Which is both vast and limitless. After Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 speaks about our problem, that we are dead children of wrath, Ephesians 2, verse 4 says that in spite of all of those things, God in His generosity, which, as the the text says, was rich in mercy. But then it goes on, it says, It was rich in mercy because of His great love. Here we see that His love... Is who He is. Because guess what? Like we all know this. And this is a common... This can move into that commonplace area. Like God is what? God is love. Right? We hear it all the time. Like God is love. And He is love. But guess what? God's love is not static. It is actively redemptive. Arkin Hughes says that this is the heart of the gospel. It is not simply God is love. Look at what it says. It says, God so loved. It's a love that is filled with such generosity that it is both ready and willing to act. And guess what? We're going to see in a moment. It does act. But before we get to that, we have to ask ourselves, according to the text, who is this generous love for? Well, we get the answer where we find the scope of generosity. So who did God so love? The world. And what a beautiful picture of hope and generous love. For God did not simply say, I'm going to give my love to one person. Or one group of people. No, that would limit the scope of His love and the power of redemption. No, what God says is that He is going to redeem through His steadfast love. Through His generous love. All of it. Guess what? God's love is big enough to transform and make all things new. For His love brings the dead to life. His love takes the orphan and makes them an adopted son and daughter. His love turns the enemy to a friend. His love takes the lost and makes them found. His love takes the destitute and makes them rich. His love takes the naked and clothes them in righteousness. Now I think there's two reasons for this, he, this word love, or this word the world, right? One, the primary reason is salvation to image bearers, those who were made in the image of God. Both Jew and Gentile. But secondary is when he uses the word, wor- the world there, when, when John writes world, like he means the entire cosmos. Like God is gonna, he, he is gonna transform and make all things anew. So how would he do this? Well, the way he does this is what we see in the next part of the verse. He, We see the means or the investment of God's generosity. You see, God had such deep and generous love for the world that he, he gave his only son. God did not sit back and yell and scream and set forth a path of moral purgatory that would one day get you right. Like, like we, we've already seen it. Like, we don't have the means nor the power to make ourselves right. And so what we see is that God gave His Son. And there's two primary ways He did that. First, He sent Him into the world. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. He experienced what it meant to be thirsty and hungry. He experienced what it meant to to have sleepless nights, to be worn out, to, to, to have laughter and be greatly encouraged. He experienced temptation and yet was without sin. But secondly, God gave by sending him to the cross so that he might die for our sins, thus displaying God's generous love to the world. For as Jesus says, there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And I love that because when Jesus says that, guess what? He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And so they would still be considered enemies to God because He hasn't died for their sin. But again, we can't make this verse common. Because in knowing the verse, we can forget the cost of the cross. And so we can hear this like, yeah, God sent his only son, and we're like, oh yeah, sure. But but do we sit and, and and reflect on what that cost? The cost of sending his only son, like can you imagine sending your only son or daughter knowing that they would die? But again, like that was never in question. It wasn't like, like God was sending Jesus to say, well, you might have to die, but maybe not. No, like it, it was plan A, there was no plan B. God knew how the plan would unfold and yet he generously loved and it cost Jesus his life. You see, all this generous love, all this generosity would not be a lost investment. Rather, this generous love carries a return that shouts through eternity because the tomb is empty. So we see the means and the investment of God's generosity, which leads to the last thing. We see the return or product of God's generosity. It says this at the end of the verse, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That that whoever, like guess who that is? Whoever. I mean, anyone can get in on God's generous love. And so I want you to think for a moment, just think of that person that you're like, they can't be in the whoever, right? Think of that person. Now remove that person and put yourself there. That's you. You're not deserving of it any more than they are. The cross is the great leveler of all playing fields. When you think of that person, guess what? They can't. It doesn't mean that they will, but they can. The generous love of God is not limited by my sin. It's not limited by your sin or anyone's sin, because guess what? It defeated sin, death, and the grave. Therefore, I don't care where you came from, where you are, or what you're in the midst of. God can redeem it by His generous love. Again, He's ready and willing to. So it says whoever what? Whoever believes in Him. Now what I will say is this, the belief there, what we often do with it is we make it commonplace and we just think it's just head knowledge, right? I know the name Jesus, right? Like, I'm a good person, I grew up in church. No, no, it's a different kind of, it is a, it is a deep heart knowledge that leads to holistic change from the inside out. That's what it means to believe in Him, is to understand the generous love of God and to live in light of the generous love of God. One must believe in Jesus, the one who gives us access and bestows on us the generous love of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. And so guess what? While whoever means whoever... When the gospel ignites faith in your life or in their life and you believe, guess what will happen? You will turn from your sin and submit to God in belief that acts. Uh, the way Scripture would say it, James would talk about it, you would turn to, to Jesus and submit in faith that works. That I believe that works there is that you'll give your time, talent, and treasure. You'll lay your whole life before God and say, whatever it is. Because of your generous love, I give it all. Guess what? You cannot be the same because you're forever changed by the generous love of God. You were rich beyond measure and have no need to return to the impoverished life you once knew. That's what I love about Jesus when he would interact with people over and over again the most guess what like if you were going to do the 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 whoever they can't get there like that's who Jesus was hanging out with so like the woman at the well comes forward or you know the person that they look at and they're like well he's blind left or deaf dumb like he can't do anything and yet Jesus looks at him and heals him or uh, you know the, the, the woman of the night or whatever it was and Jesus looks at him and what does he tell them well when he speaks to their heart he doesn't berate them with judgment. He speaks to their heart. Actually, the people that he berated with judgment were the religious. But he speaks to their heart. And then, man, as their their heart changes, it doesn't look like the outside's changed. But, man, as the heart's changing, Jesus knows that. What does he tell them to do? He says, go. And what? He says, send no more. Well, what he's saying there, in saying send no more, does Jesus believe that they're going to send no more? Right? No, like Jesus, no, but what he's saying is go live a different life. Go fight sin. Not in your own power and strength. Guess what? It didn't work to give you life. It won't work to sustain it. No, he says go and live differently in light of what has been to you, done to you, and done for you. In light of that, go act. You're rich beyond measure. You don't have to return to the impoverished life you want. It's new. Go sin no more. And we get the last thing in here. It says this, that those, whoever believes in him should not perish. That word for not perish is a, it's a definitive will not. But they will have eternal life. You see, what this means is that when we trust in the generosity of God that is found in his love and is displayed through his son, we receive eternal life as our present possession. Like eternal life for the follower is now. We don't live for eternity, we live in light of eternity. Because God's so loved and when we die, guess what? When, when you die, we do not really die but are actually more alive than we have ever been. Because God's so loved. that He gave His only Son. See, this is the generosity of God on display in John 3.16. Guess what? It's not commonplace. Like when I sit in the depths of the reality of what that is, and I think about John 3:16, man I think about it differently. It's not a verse that people just remember and think about because it reminds us of God's love for us. That's what it is, but man, it's so much more. It's supernatural and it's glorious. And so how do we respond to something like this? If we're talking about this, what does it mean to uh, man realize the generosity of God? Well, first, I think we've got to be a people that learn to reflect on the generous God that loved us so much that he gave his son. Like, may we never let the gospel become commonplace. And so this is my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to take five minutes Every day this week. Preferably, right when you wake up. Now, that, again, that's descriptive that your life may not allow that right now. But you would take five minutes, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to read this verse every day. One verse. John 3.16. Some of you, like, you open, I, and I encourage you, open your Bible and read it so you can see the words. Because for many of you, it's already here. But I want you to think about it and look at it. And then I want you to reflect on God's generosity. Just break it down one piece at a time for God. Okay, he's the source of it. So loved. Right, like the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. Think on those things. Break it down piece by piece and just reflect on it for five minutes. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to allow that reflection to lead to a response. I have two responses this week. That it would lead you first to worship, that you would thank God, and that but secondly it would lead to proclamation. You see, God's generosity should draw us to all in thanksgiving. We talked about this in 1 Thessalonians. Let that be enough. Like, like that's simply that. Guess what? Next week, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of how our generous God calls us to be a generous people. But let's stop there, right? Because, again, I don't want you to begin to think, like, okay, if I just give enough of myself, then God, like, if I serve, then God will love. No, God is, a, he, he loves and serves start there. And so what I want to do now is I'm going to have the team come back up. And I want to give you just a moment as they come back up to maybe just bow your head and just think. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this verse over you. And as I read it, I just want you to reflect on the generosity of God in John 3.16. After I read it, I'm going to have those that are uh, presenting the elements of communion and I'll lead us through a time of sharing in communion. But let me just read this verse over you. Just close your eyes for a moment. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God may that impact our hearts today, not just our head knowledge. May this not be some commonplace verse that we just say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I've known John three sixteen as long as I can remember, but that it would it, we would deeply rest and reflect on the reality that man, this verse reveals to us your generosity. It shows to us the 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 scope of your generosity. It, it shows the heart of and, and the source and the means and the return. And God, may we rejoice in that. May that understanding of what you had given us, because of your love, lead us to awe and worship and thanksgiving. May we rest in that reality. And may we, as you say, go and sin no more. May we live differently in light of it. In light of what your love does to us and for us.